1: Useless Information
2: Hi, I'm Steve Silverman, and you're listening to a classic episode of the Useless Information Podcast. For your listening pleasure, I have for you a story that I released on July 4th of 2008. It's about the spirits of St. Louis basketball team, which may possibly be the most profitable sports team in history. I am not exaggerating. Now, if you don't recall the Spirits of St. Louis team, there's really a good reason for that. They played their last game on April 6th of 1976. But while the team had physically ceased to exist in agreement that the Silner brothers, that's the owners of their team, an agreement that they made with the NBA proved to be quite lucrative. Now, I'm going to let you listen to learn the exact details of what was going on, but I do need to update the story a bit. And in doing so, I have to reveal just how much money the brothers supposedly earned. In 2014, the NBA finally settled with the Silner brothers for a reported $500 million. That's on top of an estimated $300 million that they got out of the deal between 1980 and 2014. That's eight-tenths of a billion dollars for a team that only existed on paper. Wow. Well, let's listen to find out why. Welcome to the Useless Information Podcast, my collection of fascinating true stories from the flip side history. My name is Steve Subman, and today's story is on the ABA, the American Basketball Association, a league that existed in the United States from the late 1960s to the mid-1970s. If you've seen the movie Semi-Pro with Will Ferrell, you have a bit of an idea of what this league was all about. But this story is better titled something like, How to Get Rich Without Having to Do Anything, Without Doing Absolutely Anything. Now, before we get to that story, uh, let's start with our question of the day. Now, to measure temperature in most of the world, they use the Celsius or centigrade system. But here in the United States, we still use the very awkward Fahrenheit scale. And unlike the metric system, in the metric system, freezing is at zero degrees Celsius and boiling is at 100 degrees Celsius. It's a nice, even scale. But in the Fahrenheit system that we use here in the United States, For some reason, freezing is set at 32 degrees Fahrenheit, and the boiling point is set at an even odder number, 212 degrees Fahrenheit. And my question for you today is, why did Fahrenheit choose 32 degrees as freezing and 212 degrees as the boiling point? Well, I'll let you ponder over that for a little bit, and I'll tell you the answer at the end of the podcast. And now for today's story, which is on the ABA, the American Basketball Association. Now, how would you like to get checks for millions and millions of dollars each year in the mail and have no responsibilities related to it? I mean, you have no, no expenses, no employees, you have absolutely no business and no work to do. You get millions of dollars for doing no work. All you need to do is get the checks in the mail, cash them in, and pay the taxes. That's it. Sounds like a great deal, doesn't it? Yeah, I think if someone walked up to me and offered me that kind of deal, I would probably go for it. But there's just one problem, and that is you need to be able to figure out how to pull off a deal like the one I'm about to describe, one that's related to the ABA, the American Basketball Association. It's one that many consider to be among the best ever negotiated. That's, of course, unless you're one of the unlucky ones that has to write the checks each year to these people. So I guess we should start with a little bit of background to the story. And this goes back to the late 1960s, early 1970s, uh, up until about the mid-1970s when there actually was an ABA, an American Basketball Association here in the United States. Now I do know there's a modern ABA, but that has no relationship to the former ABA that I'm talking about. And of course, there was also the competing NBA at the time. Now what I remember most about the ABA were actually its red, white, and blue basketballs but they were also known at the time for their flashy style of offensive play and the now-popular slam dunk. Now, if you've seen the Will Ferrell movie Semi-Pro, then you have a pretty good idea of what was going on near the end of the ABA's existence. Uh, in the movie, his team, the fictional Flint Tropics, uh, was a, really a mishmash of actual happenings from the ABA. For example, in the movie, uh, there were the bikini-clad Flint Tropics ball girls, but in real life, there were the Miami Floridian ball ball girls there really was a team that had ball girls and uh, another example would be in april of 1975 when the indiana pacers had a halftime show with victor the wrestling bear and you may have seen a similar scene to that in the movie and even on october 17 1973 the denver rockets had the first halter top night in pro sports history i should mention it was also the last Now, all these odd promotions were designed to get more people to come to the games, but it didn't work. The one problem that the ABA had was they had no TV contract. They really didn't get much visibility on network TV. So by 1975, December of 1975, when the Utah Stars folded, the league was left with just seven teams. Now Number seven is very, very important, so keep it in mind. Now, with just seven teams remaining, it became very clear the ABA just couldn't survive. The owners figured out that their best chance of not losing the shirts off their back was to merge with the more successful NBA. Now, you're probably wondering why would the NBA be interested in seven teams that weren't doing very well? Well, it turns out that the ABA did have a bargaining chip. It seems that the teams weren't worth that much money themselves, but the talent that they owned actually did. You see, in all the years that they existed, the ABA had been siphoning off some of the best talent from the NBA. They had been in direct competition, stealing the better players. So they did have a bargaining chip to try and get into the NBA. So the remaining team owners got together in a meeting and took a one-for-all, all-for-one, Three Musketeers type of approach. They figured that the NBA would take six teams and leave just one team out. And since the Virginia Squires at that time had the lowest attendance and least value, they assumed that the Virginia Squires would be the team that's actually left out and the six other teams would be absorbed into the NBA. Now, the owners of the Spirits of St. Louis team, uh, one of the teams that they assume will get absorbed into the NBA, two guys named Ozzie and Dan Silna, Ozzie in particular, convinced the other owners to rewrite the bylaws of the ABA so that the seventh team would be properly compensated for its players and receive one-seventh their share of any television money earned by the remaining teams in perpetuity. But that's not how it played out. The NBA agreed to only take in four teams, the New York Nets, the Indiana Pacers, the Denver Nuggets, and the San Antonio Spurs. The Virginia Squires, which uh, was assumed to be the seventh team, actually folded before the merger was negotiated and received absolutely no compensation in the end. And then John Brown, who's the owner of the Kentucky Colonels, which was not going to be part of the NBA, decided to take a lump sum of $3.3 million from the other four teams that were going to be brought into the NBA fold. And this is where the story starts getting very interesting because now the only team left to settle was the spirits of saint louis they were now the seventh team and insisted on a 2.2 million dollar cash payout and their one seventh cut of the television profits even though they had actually created that clause with these squires in mind instead it was actually never intended for the spirits of saint louis but they were now the seventh team and they wanted their cut and since uh, this one for all approach been taken unanimous approval was needed by all the remaining teams in the ABA for the NBA merger to actually go through. So the other teams really had no choice but to agree to the cylinder's demand or risk losing the entire deal with the NBA. Now at the time, this really didn't seem like a big deal because television profits even for the NBA was not very much. But no one foresaw what was going to happen in the 80s because the 80s would change that forever. The ratings for the NBA games just skyrocketed uh, due to the drawing power of people like Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, and other superstars. As ratings went up, so did the Silner's profits. Now, as the years went on, the Silvers brothers who were already rich from a successful textile business. They became super rich. The checks just kept getting bigger and bigger. And to this day, they still get one seventh of the television revenue from those four former ABA teams that were absorbed into the NBA. But the Silvers are actually doing better than their one seventh cut because in actuality, they get more because the math was locked in based on an NBA with just 28 teams. But today there are 30 teams in the NBA, so the four teams must give up an even greater percentage of their television revenue than ever before. If you think about it, each team gets 130th of the revenue, but the calculations of the silliness percentage is based on the four teams getting just one twenty-eighth of the revenue. So those four teams must give up even more than one-seventh of their cut. Now the lawyers have tried to get out of this deal many times, but the contract is ironclad. The closest they ever came was back in 1982 when the teams offered the silliness five million dollars over a period of eight years but the silliness said no we want eight million dollars over five years and the nba balked of course that would cost them dearly because the nba just grew exponentially after that point and it has been estimated the silliness have actually earned over 150 million dollars so far And it's estimated with current contracts they will earn over $320 million by the end of the 2015-16 season when the current NBA contract expires with the networks. Not a bad take for a basketball team that only averaged 3,800 fans in its final season and ceased to exist in 1976. Of course, as the Silners argue, if the team had actually been allowed to be made part of the NBA at the time, today it could be worth the $320 million on the auction block. Useless? Useful? I'll leave
1: that for you to decide. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances— shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
2: And now, a few words from our retro sponsor. Friends, you owe it to yourself and your family to leave the congested city and enjoy what nature intended you to enjoy. Visit our new apartment homes in Hawthorne Court, Jackson Heights, where you may enjoy community life in a friendly environment. Now that may not seem very interesting, but in fact it's a recording of the first paid radio commercial which broadcasts on WEAF in New York, uh, which became WNBC and later WFAN Sports Radio 66 in New York City. And it was an experiment by AT&T in a concept known as toll broadcasting. Of course today we know it as commercial radio. The commercial was for Queensboro Corporation, New York, and of course, as you heard, it was it was designed to sell real estate. It ran on five programs for five days and started on August 28, 1922, at a cost of just 50 bucks. I find that kind of interesting. It's really neat. And now for a few tidbits from the news of our weird past. And the first one I have for you is from April 7th, 1923, when Melba the 15th, a cow from New South Wales, actually eclipsed the world's record in butter production. In just one year, under the supervision of the Minister of Agriculture, she produced 1,316.81 pounds of butter fat. Isn't that amazing? Or how about this one from April 18, 1927, which takes place in New Brunswick, New Jersey, where a guy named Preston Jenkins had been jailed since February for stealing a $10 bicycle. Well, he actually pleaded guilty at his trial and was sentenced to just one minute in jail. Now what would you do in your one minute in jail? Well, he spent his time packing his belongings. And lastly, here's one from October 21, 1929, and it takes place in Middletown, New York, a place that I actually uh, know very well. And a guy named Fred Segda had actually driven his car head on into another one that was driven by a guy named Charles Weiss. Mr. Segda was catapulted through his own windshield, over the hoods of both cars, through Mr. Weiss's windshield, and landed in Mr. Weiss's lap. Pretty interesting. These great little tidbits from history. And now for the answer to today's question of the day, which was. In the Fahrenheit temperature scale, why is the freezing point set at 32 degrees Fahrenheit and the boiling point at 212 degrees Fahrenheit? Why these crazy numbers? Well, you first have to look back to the invention of the thermometer, which is kind of clouded in history, but most historians believe that the first thermometer was invented by a guy named Robert Flood in 1638, where you had a glass tube with a liquid in it and there was a scale. Uh, Even Isaac Newton in 1701 had his own thermometer with a scale of just 12 degrees, where he marked the, uh, the distance between the melting point of ice and body temperature. But it wasn't until 1724 when Daniel Gabriel Fahrenheit produced a scale that bears his name and is used here in the United States today. And the reason his scale is successful and the others weren't has to do with the fact that he not only came up with the scale, but he manufactured his own thermometers and was able to control the production. Now many stories have been written as to why the scale exists and why the temperatures are set wherever. But you need to start with a very basic thing and that is he put 180 degrees between the freezing point and the boiling point. And of course, since a straight line is 180 degrees, it made sense that since the thermometer is straight, that had to be 180 degrees between the freezing and the boiling point. But why 32 and 212? And it's a real simple thing. And that is the lowest temperature they could achieve at that point was by placing a mixture of ice, salt, and water into a container and putting the thermometer in. He marked that as zero. And then he had equal gradations all the way up, to the boiling point and he noticed that the freezing point was at 32 divisions higher and in 180 more puts it at 212 degrees Fahrenheit and that's why the scale is set with 0 degrees 32 degrees is the freezing point and of course 212 degrees Fahrenheit is the boiling point. Awkward to use and luckily not used by many in the world today except for us here in the United States. To the rest of the world it seems kind of peculiar. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's story on the American Basketball Association or how to get rich without having to do anything. As well, uh, I hope you also enjoyed the question of the day, the retro sponsor, in fact, the very first sponsor of all time, uh, News of the Weird Past. And if you'd like to read more true stories just like these, uh, please be sure to get a copy of one of my books. They are Einstein's Refrigerator and Lindbergh's Artificial Heart, both written by me, Steve Silverman. They're available from your local bookseller, online retailers, and of course, through your local library. If for some crazy reason you want to contact me, uh, just drop me an email at useless at steve.silverman.name. You can email me at useless at steve.silverman.name. You can also go to my website, which has some other stories. uh, That is uselessinformation.org. The website is uselessinformation.org. And lastly, I'd appreciate it if you log into iTunes and leave some positive comments to help increase the number of listeners to this podcast. Once again, thanks for listening, and I hope you tune in the next time. Bye.